patriotism, faith, national unity, education, fiscal responsibility, civility, the values that define America. Fascinating stories and talks from America-loving patriots dedicated to preserving freedom, opportunity, and justice. Welcome to the Friends and Fellow Citizens Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Friends and Fellow Citizens. I'm your host, Sherman Tylosky. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to Friends and Fellow Citizens so that you don't miss our episodes every week on Mondays. Today, across America, Americans recognize the bravery and the patriotism of those who died while serving in the United States Armed Forces and for the service of their country. It's a time to venture out to visit a cemetery, to place an American flag next to graves, to reflect a bit about the enormous sacrifices that our armed forces have made from the very beginning of this country during in the Continental Army to the present day. We think about those conflicts that have not only brought much suffering, uh, but we also think about the, the larger reasons why those brave soldiers have decided to fight for what is right, to fight for freedom, for opportunity, for justice. Memorial Day is really a, a real amazing day that allows us to reflect on all those individuals in previous generations who have fought for this country and who have paid the ultimate sacrifice, paid the ultimate price for their sacrifice. And I want to take this time to have a special episode on this day and to remember that Memorial Day has had many different origins, but I believe there's one individual who truly reflects Memorial Day in part because he is a bit the the de facto creator of this day. There's a man from Illinois who was born and raised in a place called Murfreesboro, Jackson in Jackson County, Illinois. He enlisted in the first Illinois Infantry in the Mexican-American War, and he decided to study law. He truly loved politics as well. He entered politics really as a bit of a Jacksonian Democrat. Um, but he eventually decided to like Stephen Douglas a lot. Stephen Douglas being one of the notable politicians from Illinois. If you remember him from the history books, from the history classes, uh, Mr. Douglas was the man who tried to find a peaceful solution with popular sovereignty, try to resolve the issue of slavery, ultimately 
it was, I, I would say, quite a big fail. And uh, it really it symbolized just how there was no, going to be no compromise whatsoever uh, for the for on the issue of slavery. And this man I've been talking about who admired Stephen Douglas, who aspired to be not only a military general, but also a prominent politician. His name is John Alexander Logan. Now, Logan decided to serve in politics. He decided he entered the Illinois House of Representatives. And as I mentioned earlier, he was a Jacksonian Democrat. He's someone who supported slavery, who did not believe that blacks could have free rights, and just as uh, whites did. And he really espoused this, uh, these ideas, very in a very very forward manner. He actually helped pass a law that would prohibit all African Americans, including f- those who were freed, from settling in the state of Illinois. It was essentially a ban uh, for a ban against all African Americans from the state of Illinois. Now, Mr. Logan felt that there needed to be more to do when it comes to resolving the issue of slavery. He wanted to compromise. He, as I mentioned, he was a Douglas Democrat. And when Abraham Lincoln was elected in 1860, he was actually very upset. He felt that there was still room to compromise, even though states started to secede. And the union was falling apart. Now, Congressman Logan decided to to do something different. Now, as he left Congress, he entered the Union Army. I think he believed, just like Douglas, he truly believed that the Union was paramount to keeping the United States together. And he really, really hated this idea of secession. Now, Mr. Logan was someone who was really talented. He had a a military experience in the Mexican-American War, and he certainly used those skills during his time serving in the Union Army. And what's really interesting is that this man served in many, many different capacities, but notably he served in the Vicksburg Campaign which was the ultimate part of the Union plan to essentially tape back the, the country. The Vicksburg campaign was a series of battles and a series of confrontations that revolved around the siege of Vicksburg, Vicksburg being that last major Confederate stronghold of the Mississippi. Part of the Union plan was to cut off the Mississippi, to take control of the Mississippi, you divide the Confederacy so one side can't interact with the other, certainly in terms of commerce and um, and even diplomatic communications, I guess, um, but also to control that commerce so that you can easily flow supply to the, uh, to the Union uh, troops throughout the country. I actually d- drove past Vicksburg last year. Uh, I was on my way. Uh, I was moving from Texas to the D.C. area, and my father and I drove across the Mississippi. And you can see the little town of Vicksburg right next to the river. And my father and I decided to take a drive through 
uh, Vicksburg's a national park. You can still see the the battleground lines, you know where the Union forces were, where the Confederacy was, and while it was peaceful driving through uh, to the, that park, uh, part of the park, no one can imagine just how bitterly divisive and how ugly uh, that fight was. The siege of Vicksburg was in May, was hardly a battle because it was essentially just cutting off, cutting off an army, cutting off people uh, devoid of any food or water or any supplies. And in the Vicksburg campaign, Mr. Logan was, now, well, I guess then a major general, Major General Logan served under General James McPherson. Uh, he was one of a handful of, of generals who served under General Grant. General Grant, obviously, being the main general who was thankfully successful in defeating Confederate General John Pemberton on this in the Siege of Vicksburg. Now, the reason why I bring up the Siege of Vicksburg is I, I believe it, not only does it represent clearly a turning point in the war. In fact, it happened within the vicinity of Gettysburg. That is how that that's how big of a turning point that was for the the Civil War, especially obviously for the Union Army, given all the hardships that they had to deal with, uh, starting from Bull Run, um, and I I believe this this turnout probably inspired. Major General Logan. Now, there might be some literature about him or things that he wrote about, but I've, I've always been curious about why he decided to make this change to not only become a Major General uh, in the Union Army, but after the war, when he decided to enter politics, he ran as a staunch abolitionist, a staunch civil rights advocate, running as a Republican eventually becoming uh, a congressman again in Illinois, eventually becoming a senator from, uh, from 1871 to 1877, and again from 1879 to 1886 when he died at the age of 60. Now, General Logan, after the war, really, really believed that what he had seen, what he had experienced, this major turnaround just like, in a way, how the turnaround of the Civil War prompted a huge change in how the course of history went. General Logan experienced a change in his life. And while he had many, many difficulties trying to be at the as much as he could on the very top of the Union Army, um, as you can probably imagine, there were plenty of other generals out there who uh, wanted to to be some of the top leaders. So clearly, it was a very, very cutthroat competition. Uh, a lot of politicking. I can't even imagine how much politicking it must have taken to to even get these kinds of positions in the Union Army. But after the war, he became the second commander in chief of the Grand Army of the Republic, which was. A, an organization that composed of veterans of the Union Army. Now again, Mr. Logan, being a staunch Republican, staunch abolitionist at this point, decided that there needed to be a, 
a day or a, a kind of celebration or kind of commemoration for those who have served for the United States. Now, what I think is very interesting about Mr. Logan is that he experienced both sides. And as I mentioned earlier, he used to be someone who was pro-slavery. And now he was on the other side. He was actually more, probably identified more on the radical Republican side, even serving as one of the um, impeachment managers against President Andrew Johnson. And today I want to read to you a proclamation that he delivered that would establish what many of us know now know as Memorial Day. And I'd like to read this brief proclamation to you as he addresses the Grand Army of the Republic. Headquarters, Grand Army of the Republic, Washington, D.C., May 5th, 1868. The 30th day of May, 1868, is designated for the purpose of strewing with flowers or otherwise decorating the graves of comrades who died in defense of their country during the late rebellion, and whose bodies now lie in almost every city, village, and hamlet churchyard in the land. In this observance, no form or ceremony is prescribed, but posts and comrades will in their own way arrange such fitting services and testimonials of respect as circumstances may permit. We are organized, comrades, as our regulations tell us, for the purpose, among other things, quote, of preserving and strengthening those kind and fraternal feelings which have bound together the soldiers, sailors, and marines who united to suppress the late rebellion, unquote. What can aid more to assure this result? than by cherishing tenderly the memory of our heroic dead, who made their breasts a barricade between our country and its foes. Their soldier lives were the reveille of freedom to a race in chains, and their death a tattoo of rebellious tyranny in arms. We should guard their graves with sacred vigilance." All that the consecrated wealth and taste of the nation can add to their adornment and security is but a fitting tribute to the memory of her slain defenders. Let no wanton foot tread rudely on such hallowed grounds. Let pleasant paths invite the coming and going of reverent visitors and fond mourners. Let no vandalism of avarice or neglect, no ravages of time, testify to the present, or to the coming generations that we have forgotten as a people, the cost of free and undivided republic. If other eyes grow dull and other hands slack, and other hearts cold in the solemn trust, ours shall keep it well as long as the light and warmth of life remain in us. Let us, then, at the time appointed, gather around their sacred remains and garland the passionless mounds above them with choicest flowers of springtime. Let us raise above them the dear old flag they saved from dishonor. Let us in this solemn presence renew our pledges to aid and assist those whom they have left among us 
as sacred charges upon the nation's gratitude, the soldier's and sailor's widow and orphan. It is the purpose of the commander-in-chief to inaugurate this observance with the hope that it will be kept up from year to year while a survivor of the war remains to honor the memory of his departed comrades. He earnestly desires the public press to call attention to this order and lend its friendly aid in bringing it to the notice of comrades in all parts of the country in time for simultaneous compliance therewith. Department commanders will use every effort to make this order effective. By command of John A. Logan, Commander-in-Chief. Now, as I read that, I was struck by the language that he used, which I thought was so powerful. For example, guarding their graves with sacred vigilance. I mean, this this kind of language is really, really something. And I, I want to bring attention to Major General Logan today because it's this proclamation that I think represents so much of what Mr. Logan went through in his life. And I believe he wanted to inform people, both in the present and in the future, that he recognized the importance of respecting those who have died to fight this country because he himself witnessed that. In fact, earlier I mentioned that he had served for General James McPherson. Unfortunately, Union General McPherson was killed in action. So he saw firsthand a superior lose his life. He's obviously seen his comrades with the Mexican-American War, during the Civil War. He's seen countless people lose their lives. He's probably met a number of family members who have lost a loved one. And I just believe that General Logan, setting, let's first setting aside you know, his, uh, his politics, um, he truly understood why we needed a Memorial Day. This is why he wrote this proclamation. I think it was also fitting that he is commander-in-chief. He certainly probably never felt as commander-in-chief as he did probably as during his time in the Grand Army of the Republic. And not to mention that he was also a great orator. So uh, whether or not he would do a, a better or worse job is is something that might never be known. But he was a great orator. He was able to – well, not – not really. He wasn't very successful in Congress, unfortunately, in part because of his passionate views and of his political views. But I believe he really delivered this message in that passionate way, and he sought, I think, to reunite people. You know, he he fought alongside individuals who didn't even agree with Lincoln, maybe not even close on the issue of slavery. For example. One of the, the commanders he fought with uh, was a, a, a Union general named John Alexander McClernand. McClernand was actually not only a prominent Democrat, a prominent Jacksonian um, a democracy guy. He wanted to compromise, but he 
still fought with Abraham with Abraham Lincoln. He was still a close friend, political ally. And going back to Major General Logan, I think he saw these relationships. He saw that there was promise that there was an ability for people to come together to fight for what is right. When he saw that the political issue of slavery was too deep rooted into the area of morality, he realized that there was no compromise. That shift going from being a Douglas Democrat, thinking that you could compromise, you know, give up some things, gain some things. I think during the war, it completely changed. He saw that, that, no, this is not a fight between Democrats or Republicans. This is not a fight between what's, you know, what's beneficial for me or in Congress, what isn't beneficial for me in Congress. He probably saw it as a fight between right and wrong. And he knew that moving forward, we needed a holiday that would remember all those who fought for the soul of this nation, and he wanted to create a legacy. He wanted to make sure that no one, no soldier in the United States should, who has lost his or her life should ever be forgotten. Mr. Logan is truly one of my new heroes. I had heard of him in the past, uh, but he certainly brings about a new meaning when I walked past Logan Circle in Washington, D.C., obviously named after him. There's a likeness of him, too. And if, if there isn't a fort named after Logan, I think we should have a fort named after him, Fort Logan. He truly is uh, an inspiration, and I hope that the proclamation I read to you today um, and his legacy and his contributions to the United States, I think, will so hopefully serve as a source of inspiration for all of us. And with that, thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you will join me in remembering those who pay the ultimate price for the freedoms and values that we hold dear. Have a great rest of your day and rest of your week, and I will see you next time.